The tone is negative on Wall Street, and there's very little optimism going around. What we saw this week was brutal. We saw all three major averages down over 2%. The S&P 500 was actually, is actually down over 10% since its peak back on July 31st. So where do we go? Well, we have all the answers for you today on Buy, Hold, Sell. Welcome, everyone. I am your trader, Todd Schoenberger, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, Tobin Smith, who I guess is hot. I guess it's hot in Scottsdale, Arizona today. Freaking air conditioning out here. I'm freezing my ass off. What is it? It's like a fireside chat for you today. I don't know what you're doing. I I know exactly. (laughs) Well, we have a very special guest with us who's actually going to help us clean up this mess on Wall Street. Jessica Inskip. She is the Director of Education and Product over at Options Place. She's also an award-winning podcaster with her Market Maker podcast. I love that name, by the way, Jessica. How do you spell that, Jessica? Thank you. Uh, Market Make Her, H-E-R. From from her perspective, different perspective, yes. You're so smart. You're so smart. I like that. (laughs) Well, thank you. Well, it's a podcast that caters to to DIY investors, which is most of our audience, but also with a a focus on female investors, which is awesome. And it's definitely something that we're big fans of. So, Jessica, let's talk about the markets right now. I mean, you you sent over some technical charts to us, which are great. But I got to say, it's a head scratcher because I'm really nervous with so many other challenges that are taking place in the world right now. Should we be looking at anything? Should we see the sell-off continue in the near term? I think it's such a wonderful question. I think there's more uncertainty in the market than ever, but there's also a lot of cash on the sidelines. And I think that's important to note when we see these larger sell-offs and we have a different type of consumer. So there is a lot to digest. What I'm waiting for... so. Today, and this week's price action, we found my very key level of support, which is 4,100. I was praying that we closed above that 4,100 level for the the S&P 500. 500. Yes, S&P 500, you got it. Um, And we did. Which is, which is great. And that reason why that is such a key important level, when we define a downtrend, that's a series of lower highs. That was the last lower high for that broader bear market on the S&P 500 from last year. We had to overcome that 4,100 level for me to turn into a bull, which means supply and demand as it shifts, it trades places. That's the level that we'd have to take over to become a bear. We didn't take over that level. That's the important factor, number one. Number two is just really focusing on what's happening next week. That's going to be some key determiners as far as what happens if we hold that level. Apple's reporting, the Fed's going to be speaking, there is a jobs report, and all of that's going to give us some type of answer. But I think it's very interesting what's happened all this week. If you think about that Magnificent Seven, the earnings expectations of the earnings reports were actually really, really well, but the market reaction was poor. But the market reaction of the other securities found within the S&P 500 wasn't as bad. So so there's some silver lining there, but a, a lot to digest. Well, Todd, I would I, I would also, I was talking about this on the, on the podcast I was doing before this podcast. There's some basic mechanics in, in how the market works that I usually like use these sort of aeronautical terms. Uh, we had a stock recently that it was an AI stock, which we, I love. And it went from 70 cents to $2.80 or 90 cents in about four days. And and when I sent out the emergency, sell this thing, you idiot, to people, they were like, well, no, I think it's going to $20. No, no, that's unusual. The market doesn't work that way. There was a bunch of mechanical things that made that stock go up like that. But since stocks have gone up historically since 1959, you know, 30 years before Jessica was born, 
um, the uh, 7.5 to 8% a year. You just had 60 years of gains, dude. Don't be an idiot. And so right. in the in, when the AI mania hit, yeah, we had some stocks. We had, you know, we've already owned NVIDIA for other reasons and so on and so forth. And stuff went up like 196%, 250 for, for mega caps. Well, what that is, that is not real buyers. That is, as Jessica knows, these are momentum algo buyers that buy any ticker that is meets a certain criteria of volume and higher highs and all that, and it looks great on a chart. But as soon as that thing turns, the algo says, I'm out because the rules that I buy and sell on just got broken. And that's why you get these, these pullbacks. I, I don't know if you saw the number today, Jessica, but I believe that that 78% of all the trades, certainly in the New York Stock Exchange, were algorithmic robotic trades. Um, and so we're, we're in the land of algos right now. And we, we take profits when the algos go crazy, and then we let them come back. And yeah. sure as heck, that same AI stock we were talking about came back to 70 cents. We loaded up on it. Uh, it put out the news that we knew they were going to be putting out. And now everybody's back, you know, in the green again. You can't just sit on your hands when you're in, a, in an environment as we are right now, as Jessica says. You can't. We're in we're in a whole new paradigm. There is no playbook for five well, percent rates, two world wars, uh, dysfunctional Congress, thirty-five trillion dollar. Uh, yeah. debt, blah, blah, blah. It's never happened before all at the same time, Todd. And and, yeah. and people cannot just, you know, uh, making a 25% return on something is three times what you, the average annual return is. Don't be a pig. But don't you think, I mean, the thing, when we saw the 4.9% GDP print, and now you have the consumer that's clearly doing okay. I mean, yeah. this fear that we're going to have this really this this consumer is just going to drag everything down into this deep recession i don't see it happening so when you when you look at what well, the why don't you see it happening todd why don't you see it happen when's it going to happen we've been waiting for this we have over 500 basis points and in increases by the fed when are we going to see the uh for for uh for fed funds when are we going to see the actual slowdown take place i mean what else needs to happen and it's a rhetorical question for you yes. but i just don't understand where it's going to happen but jessica what i want to know is that let's remove we already know what the fed's going to be doing that's been a story for the last 12 months it's a headline story on wall street but the geopolitical issue is a big thing right now and so if you how much of an impact is that because that's got to be changing everything with your charts? It, it is because it creates a layer of uncertainty. And I think we should dive back into that resilient consumer. And we certainly will. Great stat that I heard today, though, actually. If you go back to 2013, when we were looking at the U.S. rating Iraq, that was, again, an unfortunate, terrible situation. The market went down 10% in a response, waiting on that uncertainty. But as soon as that raid happened, the market ripped and rallied. That's the only period in time where we can find something that's similar. Similar is the keyword, not the same huh. whatsoever. But geopolitical tension is a piece of it. And I think it's important to note what, what Toby said there. There's all these things that are happening at the same time that haven't happened at the same time so often, but things tend to swim in different lanes. Even if I'm thinking about the overall broader inflation picture and what caused hyperinflation and the, those weren't in the same lanes, right. which is a Absolutely. good thing. It's things stop differently. We had our supply chain issues that, that was mitigated. Then there was the Russia-Ukraine war, which opened up other ones, but it's these 
things can stop and start at different times, which is good. We don't want it to all happen at once because then that's when we run into just crazy. Yeah, and Jessica, I won't, I won't bore Todd uh, on this, but I, I, I throw in a couple of things. Now, by the way, Todd, the, the gentleman we had on last week, I talked to him and I'm going to get my article in, Bar in Barron's on this because I, what I, I know that people are missing and the macro people are missing is that in the United States, 155 million households, uh, 96 million are getting a monthly pension check, either Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, IRA, pension. We never had that stuff before. The last time when, when I was raising, you know, when I was selling bonds at 18%, thank you very much, in 1982, the deficit was $250 billion. There was nobody had IRAs, nobody had uh, 401ks. Uh, union people had pensions, but union wages were also uh, tied to the cost of living adjustment. So their their wages were going up for only them, but it was a big part because it was 32% of the economy. Our economy and the business models of companies are so different today that, the, that, that there's many valid reasons why the why the Atlanta Fed showed 5.1 and my number was 4.8 this year because 25%, Todd's heard it a million times, of the American households control. Now today in this last report, 79% of discretionary spending. The top 25% are not spending less Trust me, I live in Scottsdale, okay? Uh, you live in Jacksonville. Yeah, it's crowded all the time for crying out loud. Um, it is. And, and you've got businesses growing, going there like crazy and wages are higher and cost of living is lower, all that stuff. The other final thing I will just end with, just, just to put in your calculus, because uh, uh, Jessica, I'm already a big fan. There's 63 counties in the United States that account for 72% of US GDP. If you expand that to 80 counties, it's 81% of the GDP in the United States. The other 3,300 minus 80, so the other 3,120 on a statistical basis, and don't throw, don't send me mad letters and hate stuff, does not count statistically versus these 25% that do 75% of discretionary spending, and that's going up. That's picking up whatever spending at Dollar Tree is going down, whatever spending you know is going down on the other end. That's what controls our GDP, and that's why our GDP is growing. Thank you very much. I'm I'm done here. Well, that, first of all, I love that the, thought. Go ahead. The the hate letters for you, Toby. I actually answer those for you. Oh, do you? Okay. <laughs> so you have to worry about that, Jessica. Right. Let's let's pivot a little bit because right now we're clearly you you brought up Apple earnings. We're in the middle of tech earnings season. Um, Amazon numbers they've been okay. I mean, Amazon did well. Uh, what's your take though? Is this? I mean, it sounds like. Everything you're saying so far sounds like a terrific buying opportunity, at least what we're seeing this week. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind, is it okay if we talk about the consumer for one one Please. brief moment? Oh, yeah, let's go. We can talk. Oh, yeah, I, we have all day. I uh I, I'm I have actually, a vest on. I'm warm now. I'm not gonna be uh, there. Shipping. we go. Okay. Yeah. I'm actually known for going down some deep data rabbit holes. Um cool. love it. That's, let's do it. That's what I love to do. And I think what makes me better <laughs> nonetheless. There is a, now it's backed by data, but this is what I'm I'm seeing with the resilient consumer and why it's so different than previous market downturns. One is the trend of financial literacy. I love to use the platform Pinterest when trying to understand uh -huh. Gen Z because Pinterest is used from a planning perspective. So it's not what are people have done or what's what's happening now, it's what are they going to do? And a trend that popped up actually the end of last year, even 
around the pandemic side was financial literacy and saving and budgeting. The most popular fund for that generation, I'm not going to call it a fund, I suppose the money market aspect is a fund, is a high yield savings account and money markets. It's safe. It's that first entry step into the market. But if you have a restrictive Fed, you have higher interest rates. There is another security that performs well, even though we're trying to tighten monetary policy and constrain the consumer. And that's high yield savings accounts and money markets and yields and the yeah. fixed income side. And that's creating a, a resilient consumer, especially on the on the older side of the spectrum, because they favor those type of fixed income products. But the younger generation is investing more than ever. Even think about broader retail participation within the market. Take that a step further. There is just so much financial literacy. I find it very, very interesting. Now go back and think about- You're talking about financial content, not necessarily actual literacy, but content. Like, yeah, you, like you being mean literate. the amount of, like, amount of research reports that are available, the news that's available. That they're, But they're investing in high yield savings account, which they're getting okay. 5% yeah. on their yeah. income. And they'll say, okay, I'm getting 5% on my emergency fund, which it used to be 0.01%. That's going to pay for my new car payment. So they're making better, smarter decisions, which equates to a resilient consumer because they're not spending above their means. And there's something else that I think Wall Street is missing entirely. Back in 2008 and any other downturn, we didn't have this availability. Side hustles is also a thing, meaning yeah. people can have Amazon affiliate links and most people do. It's insane what you see on that younger generation of how much income they receive just from their side hustles and digital downloads and Etsy and all these other things that we just didn't have access to at that time frame. But that builds a resilient consumer. You could be laid off, but you also can have other means of a source of income, which wasn't readily available in other downturns. That's a great, great point. Um, you know, on, on, on CNBC, they have a, a segment called Make It, where they show all these makers, et cetera. Right. And I've just found it fascinating. I mean, I'm, I'm such old school. I actually go to the publisher. I give them the book. Uh, I get a royalty. I get an upfront payment and a royalty, babe. And then they make all the money. I mean, you know, I'm, 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 you make more money selling the book than, than less, you know, blah, blah, blah. If today, the next book I'm doing is on artificial intelligence. I'm going straight to Amazon. Uh, I'm going straight. I'm not going to traditional publisher uh, for a variety of reasons, because gosh, every person who buys the book, I also get the email address from, I opt them in to my free e-letter. And over the time, hopefully we've done well enough that they want to get into our paid service. I used to have to have 12 people. I ran one of the largest FinPub publishing companies in the world. We had 75 people who just like plug stuff in. And, and now everyone's still, in, everyone has a version of that though. That's yeah. a resilient consumer. You don't have to be so employed right. by- well, this, changes, this changes everything too. Yeah. I mean, this changes everything. Um, Absolutely and, does. And, and so, yeah, no, I, that's a great point. I, I'm going to add that to my list, Todd. And I, every time I say that on this show, I'm going to I'm going to uh, contribute and I'm going to uh, say that Jessica is the one who told us that. There you go. You have to give credit where credit's due. So credit. absolutely. I'm, not a, I'm not a stealer. And that's <laughs> important. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Let's let's leave it on, on there on this block, guys, because I do want to talk about the tech sector. We could continue the conversation about the consumer. I do have a couple of follow up questions there for you. as well. I want to hear about what happens when we break 4100 on the S&P 500. We already have small caps. Micro caps are in a bear market. Small yes. caps bear market. It's not just SPY. OK, Todd. 
there's a lot of other parts of it. Of the there's so many things, so many things to talk about. It's why everybody tunes in to Buy, Hold, Sell. So with us today on Buy, Hold, Sell, we have Jessica Inskip. She is the Director of Education and Product at Options Play and also an award-winning podcaster with the Market Make Her podcast. Definitely want to check that out. I know that's something we'll be doing after this show. But listen, keep it there. We'll be right back after the break. Buy, hold, sell, brought to you by Crosscheck Management. On any given day in Washington, policy proposals are created, debated, and decimated by tens of thousands of people and organizations working behind the scenes. On 80 Proof Politics, a guest and I will visit a D.C. watering hole and distill the art of advocacy by pulling back the curtain a bit and taking a look at how they play their part in the sausage factory we call our federal government. So if you're at all interested in how the sausage is made, pull up a chair, grab a drink, and join us. After all, what goes better with sausage than a tall, cold one? Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers every episode of double down with breslow is packed with insider tips deeply skilled analysis and in-depth discussions don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting listen to double down with breslow on the evergreen podcast network or wherever you listen to podcasts that's double down with breslow the business of sports betting podcast how much do you understand the future of finance I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transform, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. Hey, this is Jeff Hurst, editor-in-chief of the Stock Traders Almanac. You got to listen to Todd and Toby on Buy, Hold, Sell. Welcome back to Buy, Hold, Sell. The stock market, oh, it's brutal right now. All three major averages are down over 2% for the week. S&P 500 down 10.5% since the July 31st peak. Hopefully things turn around. We're still waiting for something to happen in the fourth quarter. and and we'll. Um, but we, we're here to answer all those questions for you and hopefully um, maybe, uh, maybe provide some um, relief. Uh, maybe we'll have a relief rally uh, in, the, in the near future. But the person that's going to tell us if that's even going to happen is Jessica Inskip. She is joining us today. She is the Director of Education and Product at Options Play and also a great podcaster with her uh, Market Make Her podcast. Jessica, I got to ask you, tell the audience, what's this podcast all about? Yeah, I want to hear. Yeah, it's so it's different than any podcast that's out there, especially ones that are oriented towards females. Normally, they talk about budgeting, expenses, credit card management. There's a big need for that passive type of investor that just invested in, you know, VOO or SPY via compound interest over time. We take that a step further once you're ready to graduate. My uh, 
marketing friend, Jesse Danaway, convinced me to actually start this podcast. And what's different about it is I'm teaching her. And so she forces me to take out the financial jargon, which makes it really, really relatable. We've got- Great analogies. We related the business cycle to a menstrual cycle. Actually, learned quite a bit about a menstrual cycle on that one on that episode. Yeah, but we've got, but it's great analogies um, that that we bring. But our reviews definitely are a testament to it. Women and men, even we actually have a huge huge men following. So it's for anybody who wants to listen. It's it's from her perspective though. Uh, we just break down how the stock market actually works in excessive detail. But we also have a laugh along the way. Well, hey, uh, you know, Todd, I just thought that you know everybody says the stock market is a uh, is a testosterone-driven thing. What if it was an estrogen-driven uh, idea? There you go. Well, It'd be less emotional, probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. Irony. Well, I do know that it's being played on Apple Podcasts, which is uh, where we get the bulk of our audience as well. So that's I'm sure it's going to be a, a, cool. a fabulous success for you and uh for those watching uh on the on the television uh version of this episode you'll see it flashing on the screen right now for you so we definitely encourage the audience to go check it out i know jessica's got a lot a lot to offer for for everyone so let's uh let's so with that said with that education we need to educate our audience right now about the markets jessica i mean here what happens if the markets continue to go down i mean you talked about talked about the floor in the last block what do we do with things what's what's lower what happens when we break the floor jessica i don't know what todd is like mr nice guy today jesus (laughs) well i mean at at that point we're gonna it's gonna be a little scary Um, give us the downside numbers because the numbers i I I see are pretty hairy so there's different levels so when we look at support support is like a mattress kind of sink into it it's not a hard oh, estrogen level again todd wow <laughs> that's actually from carter worth i'm gonna get oh, it where it's it's how does it work <laughs> yeah there we go uh but it so it's 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 as in it's it's layered it's a layer of levels so right now 4100 that one's key because of what we talked about on the first block yeah. that was a part of something that needed to be overcome to put us in a bull market so now we're going to get back into bear market territory the october lows were found at the 200 weekly moving average. Mm -hmm. And I look at technical analysis a lot differently than most people. And I think it's why it's made me, and I think, I know it's why it's made me more successful. And I'll give you the breakdown of it. So the 200 weekly moving average, I want to see it sloping up. That's where we made the October lows last year. That is a moving target. Right now it's at 39.40. And we know the October lows were well below that. That was what, 30 about 36. the 3,600. Yep. Yeah, so therefore that's a moving target upwards, but that would be my lowest level. Anything beyond that, we've got a really, really, really big issue, but I'll give you some methods of the madness. You notice the other moving averages that I sent you are the 13, 26 and the 40 weekly moving averages. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I get asked, Jessica, where did those come from? <laughs> well, <laughs> Jessica, where the hell did those come from? They're perfect. Thank you for leading into that. The uh, So we look at the market in quarterly views, right? Because earnings are quarterly. Right. 13 highly weeks. Correlated. Highly very, correlated. Very, very much so. Yeah. So this is that qualitative, quantitative view, and we're bridging those together. 13 weeks represents one quarter of prices. 26 is two and 40 is three. If we see prices going up with earnings, then that gives us indication of the trading cycle. We fell below that. If you were to look at the S&P 500 chart that I gave you, and when you see that flip downwards, it's a complete indication that we're going into a bearish trading cycle. So I want to see that flip back upwards for us to even be bullish. So floor, 
39.40 at this moment, no, that's a moving target that's going to adjust. So that's derived from the 200 weekly moving average as far as my lowest, lowest, lowest level. And I also look at those three moving averages to give me the trading cycle, which right now is, is bearish. Yeah. Do okay. you um, do you use you know the uh, reverse ETFs, the SQQs, the other um, type of ETFs that are essentially go up in value when the stock market is going down in value? Um, I do not because those are normally derived of futures contracts and they are subject to contango or backwardation. So they deviation in the R squared is completely gone if you look at it more than a day. You know, it's completely gone. Is anybody who was listening to that last statement, Justin? Now, come on, take a little of that out there. The R squared, <laughs> the, the standard deviation. There is no correlation to okay. an inverse market beyond a day. Ding, 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 ding. Thank you. There we go. Much. I yeah, thought my yeah, gigantic yeah. head was going to explode. That's what happens on the podcast all the time. It's just, <laughs> what did you say? Well, our, our squared, I was talking off the line, I think, to someone today about, about calculus is something that I actually do very well at. It's just the actual doing a formula like 10 times 8. I have a real problem with that. But you give me R squared, you give me S curve changes, I'm good with that. Um, but in 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 your trade, do you uh, do are you do you do trading? Are you doing longer investing? What's your time frame, or does that change? Um, it really changes. So I'm, I'm definitely a different type of investor because I work in the stock market yeah. every single day. I am an yeah. options trader at heart. So my long term trades are I buy stocks by selling cash secured puts, and then once I own them, I sell cover calls to exit that position, prioritizing yield and capital appreciation, directional plays. I love something called a broken wing butterfly which is fun to explain but um all right you can't just leave it hanging there girlfriend <laughs> yeah, what is it what's a broken well, wing butterfly so if, if you're familiar with options i'll show you the way we layered on so you buy say we're bullish and i was bullish on the the cues right now but i i did place this trade you buy your at the money option that's your long call then okay. you'd create a bull how call. far out a week out a month out or um what? i go about 45 to 60 days okay. because when, when you're going long you want to make sure that you maximize your theta decay because we're buying time. We yeah. want to make sure that we can sell time too. Okay. So 45 to 60 days, long call. Then you sell your second call at your higher strike price target. But I sell two of those. Short yeah. call individually is the naked option, right? So yeah. say this is a 10 to 12 points right here. I sell my two calls. This is a broken wing because this is not 10 to 12. It's actually five maybe six. Ah, so this caps cool. my, I, so when I buy a further out of the money call that caps my upwards yeah. loss potential. And But, but you've also taken in all this premium. So uh, a small move, relatively small move, either way, you're going to make money and you're using 90% less cash than you would owning the Absolutely. actual. Industry. You do. You reduce the cost of that long call to so, so minimal, but yeah. there's always a give and take with options. The give is you have a very, very small amount of a position. Your take is really capped your upwards potential and you'll lose a little bit if it goes too yeah. far, but you'll still be a gain if it goes. Right, but, and, and, you know, I, I do this in my uh, IRAs and my Roth accounts, et cetera, no taxable issues. Todd, the other thing, just quickly, for income investors, uh, we've just had a wonderful run over the last couple of years in energy where we're actually getting premium income on the companies that we love. One of my one I love the most is, is called uh, USA Compressor, and it's an MLP, and they rent 10,000 horsepower compressors to big 
multinational companies. In other words, no one ever doesn't pay. You know what I'm saying? And um, uh, we will sell put options to get more income. And so uh, I just looked at yesterday, from the time we bought it, we bought it in the middle of the MLP you know, meltdown in April 2020, right? Our $4 cost base, $4.20 cost base, after you take the $2 dividends you get per year and the 14 times we've sold the um, put options, our cost base is, is around $5 and six, negative $5.61. Now, we will never ever sell that position because we're now getting $2 a, a, a year on, with a zero cost basis. And we've used that other cash to buy more shares. So it's, it can be a wonderful thing. It sounds complicated, but it's really not. And she can teach you how to do it. That's right. That's yeah. what we do in my day job at Options Play. Yes. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Well, you mentioned that, that you're uh, that you're bullish on the cubes. It sounds like you and the, the uh, Invesco IQQQ. So tell us, we got to start talking about tech right now. Give us an idea. Give us give us the full technical pattern of what you see. For the Q, for the and NASDAQ tell us market. when to bail out of them. What, yeah. what level they break? Yeah, so we we also hit my support on the Nasdaq 100. So yeah. I look at the Nasdaq 100 for my view on tech because um, they strip out financials. It hit the lower moving average. So, but which is the the broader one? So the 40 weekly moving average. I expect that to hold, and that's mainly because of Apple. So know that this is a bet on Apple, even considering QQQ. Perhaps mm. even a better. Job number, but it's the Apple earnings that matter. Apple, I think there's something very interesting about them. One, they have an event on Monday. So they're giving us a precursor to the big event on their earnings on Thursday. So that's important. That head to know. thing again. How do you do that and not break your neck? The you how do doing, I yeah, you know, you were doing these sides. I was I was very impressive. I'm sorry. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I was impressive. So, but she's a professional, okay? Oh, okay. So, I'm just yeah. asking. They, they I want to learn how to do that. Thought. Continue with your thought, please. Oh. No, no worries. Um, <laughs> but Apple has had a chat GPT-like model that they have done nothing with. Yeah. Apple, unlike the other other tech companies will never release a product unless it's ready for sale. So they're not going to give us a forward indication that something's coming. They say, look at this new thing, buy it now. And perhaps they're having something ready for the Christmas season. Who knows? But any inclination of that will definitely cause the stock to skyrocket whenever that occurs. And I think Apple would be really great at AI. They innovate. They give us reimagined experiences. That's been their business model forever. Hey, I'm Siri, excited tell me for about Jessica Inskip and what she <laughs> about Apple. There we go. I don't know if anything will come up. Maybe that would be interesting. Well, I, I, I'm with you, but now you're talking fundamentals, girlfriend. You're not talking technical. Stuff. I know I am. I do both. I do both. Okay. Uh, I do both because uh, they're they're related. But yeah. with Apple, the well, because technicals are fundamentally driven. Yeah. There's your relation. <laughs> but the, uh, the when they have their earnings, though, what we forget about Apple is even though most of their revenue is derived from iPhone sales, they also have a vision towards or are net cash neutral. That is what they strive for. They have, and we know, we all know this, that they have a ton of cash on the sidelines. And only 185 billion. Come on now. Exactly. That's making money too, that I'm sure would offset any losses. So just the earnings. I, yeah, I, I, I did the math recently. Because remember, the another issue that's uh, a big issue right now of Apple is uh, European sales, foreign sales. Anytime you sell in a non-U.S. currency, U.S. currency is up at this value. Uh, you know, yen is down here, China's down here. You everything's down. So when you reconvert that, you lose about a four and a half percent haircut just on that sale. 
However, it has a strong dollar, yeah. it's offset by the fact that they're making nine and a half billion dollars a month in free money from their, you know, their their uh, short-term yield portfolio, which uh, I have uh, angels up there who tell me that they're getting about a 5.8% yield on their money because they have some, you know, pretty cool stuff they do that way. So and that's amazing. And, yeah. and they also have different price points in different countries to adjust for just that. Yeah. That's well, true. and then, I mean, the other side, of course, is their services in, in, in income every quarter for the last, I don't know, 16, 18 quarters has gone up. And that's a high margin business. It's a great, it's, you know, this idea of incremental profit is pretty cool. When it costs you nothing to get the customer because they're already a customer because I have one of these and you, they buy stuff from you after you pay the fee, it's 100% profit. That's hard to beat. That's just that, hard. That's true. And you once once you're an Apple customer, you're not going to go anywhere. All your devices talk to each other. I'm there. I'll never leave for that reason. The convenience is amazing. Yeah, well, right. You are, you're in the ecosystem. All right. I so, am. well, okay. Let's now let's get downside. I'm sorry, Todd. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. What is the downside to the QQQ breaking or the NDX breaking? I mean, as I say, micro cap index already in a bear market. Financials in a bear market. Utilities in a bear market. I've never seen so many safe areas in a bear market. If tech is the last man standing. If tech doesn't stand, where do we go from there? Well, we I cannot imagine a broader market rally without tech participating. That's yeah. why the importance is there. But it's it's almost lagging now, which is interesting because it led us into the rally. Now it's lagging those key support areas. So their next level of support is actually the August 15th high, which is not their... For their last lower high. It's the second to last lower high, not okay. confusing at all. Um, but that number is 13,720. So that's where their floor would be, which is we've still got some ways, but they're also looking at their 200 weekly moving average, which again is a moving target. Yeah. And that right now is 12,777. You're talking about the NDX, the NASDAQ index. I am talking about the NDX, NASDAQ okay. 100, yes. All right. So uh, in, in for us uh, lay people, S&P 500, where do I start, you know, either selling or shorting or, you know, where where do I get, where should I be nervous and what's after 3,800? What's the next support down? Yeah. So I would say it give you what even is before there. So going back to the S&P 500, yeah. nervous if we break 4,100. That's, okay. that is where my nervous is. I'm flipping to a bear at that moment All because right. I have to stick to my rules as a uh, Note to self, analyst. send uh, Jessica a, a text on the day it goes to 3790. There, there sure, go. there we go. <laughs> um, the next level beyond that is found at the 50% retracement line. Love Fibonacci because it's all around you. Yep. Math is fun. Uh, 4,049 is that level. Then beyond that, we're looking at Thank the 200 weekly. Yes, okay. and that- that's the 3,900 so, level. 3,900. And if you break okay. 3,900, I mean, not only you, but uh, every other you know technical analyst I talk to says it's 3,800 and then it's 3,600 roughly. Um, because I think what people don't understand, and you explained very well, but you know these technical supports, these moving averages, from a human standpoint, since like today, 76% of all trades were um, done by robots. But the people who program the robots are, is, are taking algorithms that say, this is what's working, this is what's not working, so do this, what's working, et cetera. But for the real people, the actual you know action, I, when I used to run a mutual fund, I got to, you know, I was actually doing real uh, investing. Most mutual funds, can't hold very much cash. 
very rare that hedge funds could hold cash, but mutual. So they got to buy something. And so they keep going for the life raft uh, that, that allows them to stay, you know, 100% invested, but they don't feel like they're getting schmucked. Well, now that the last man standing is the magnificent eight or 10 or whatever you want to call it, as soon as they break down, in my opinion, that's where you get into the, all right, the world's coming to an end. Uh, I mean, that we're going to, because that's the last man standing. Um, the people who are short are, will just add the shorts. The mm -hmm. people who are uh, naive will just sell in a panic. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I, the final one I have for you, Jessica, is what I don't understand is, you know, we follow the tacticals very tightly here. Why is it that the fix, the the, the fear number is, is like 22? You need to get 30 just to get a washout. You know, we yeah. had 85 on April 3rd of 2020. What's what's up with the VIX? Yeah. So I actually would love to answer that question. So the VIX looks would. normally at 30 days. <laughs> there we are. So, uh, uh, the, it, so it looks about 30 days out. So remember the market's forward looking and then yeah. the VIX is going to look 30 days out. So we'll just say that's six months from now. Right. And it looks at SPX options and it, it has this algorithm that applies for liquidity. So something yeah. that has some volume yeah. and it gives you that just variation. So it's all supply and demand that's built into that. 30 days, the options market is changing. Now 53% of the options market is made up of those zero DTE or days until expiration oh, options. Oh, okay, right. And so the hedge funds are even taking that. There are ways to hedge daily and pinpoint certain things. I actually use it as an indicator and yeah. pull the net deltas to give me a, a direction very different. What you're than saying is, is because 50% of the trades are in these one day options, it's taking the skew down tremendously in terms of the risk that they're measuring. Ah, exactly. Now there is a, I and this heard, is brand new. I mean, this is only in the last year, right? Yeah, that's it. This is in the last year. It's it's yeah. very interesting. So, I mean, zero days till expert. It's not like Cicibo is or OCC is creating yeah. zero day options every single day, but there's something expiring every day. So yeah. they were one month at one point, and but now there's something every single day. But Ever since the pandemic happened and investing became a trend, we had GameStop. Now we have this influx of zero DTE, DTE options. They're widely adopted. A lot of retail is found there. Yeah. And I hear that there is a product. I believe it was just released. I do not know the symbol off the top of my head, but it's a volatility index that's tracked utilizing the zero days until expiration option. But what I do like to use as a fear gauge, actually, okay. there's one for the NASDAQ 100 symbol is VOLQ. And Vol you can Q, actually yes. say similar type of 30 days out, but because it doesn't have that zero days till expiration disparity, that's a better view. And it has a bit of a different, it only uses at the money options. And yeah. I actually well, that's, prefer that. That's a great. So, so if I boil it down for the non-option type person, what we used to have that to tell us the fear, in other words, how much people, money people were paying, willing to pay to hedge their account was the VIX. Right. What you're saying now is how the 50 and, and it felt that followed options, but because the DTEs, these one day things are more than 50%, the VIX doesn't work anymore. Is that what you're saying? It doesn't work for the fear gauge. No, it doesn't. All right. Well, That's why we we're seeing it. First, Todd, I know you're excited. <laughs> are, are your eyes still open? I can't quite see. <laughs> I'm 
All right. sitting there thinking I, I might need a cup of coffee. But no, I, I love this because that's a great soundbite. And that's probably something you're not going to hear on the other financial channels. So it's, it's very educational. One last thing I want to talk about. I want to get back to, to the consumer. Uh, we saw the retail sales number. They, they obviously did quite well. Consumer still has a lot of money they're spending, or not a lot, but they have money that they're spending, whether it's No surprise to Jessica and me, Todd. No surprise right. to us. because we actually Yeah, yeah, no bad. surprise. But but final final uh, thought for you on this, and I'm not sure if you track the retail sector, but coming up in mid-November, we have earnings coming out from Target. We have Walmart earnings coming out, Nordstrom. With all the talk about, and I know this has nothing to do with, with technical charts, but with the theft issues that are taking place, store closings across the country, do you have any thoughts at all on the retail sector, especially as we're heading into the holiday shopping season? I, I think the GDP numbers, they are backwards looking, but we see an increase in consumer spending. And I listen to more of the market commentary from the other ones that speak to the strength of the consumer, like the balance sheets that are spoken on the bank earnings as they kicked us off. They're speaking to that resiliency and that spending. So I would expect, I would expect that to broaden, but the theft issue is something of a concern. That's something that Amazon doesn't have and hence right. why they do better. Right. Well, that's exactly. Uh, you just you beat me to it. Number one, uh, e-commerce makes up for a lot of that. Number two, there's actually an index now of slippage that is being created in the 15 largest metropolitan areas because they're not going to allow the retail guy to come on on this learnings call and say, "Oh, we were doing great except for the slippage." Well, Bob, you're looking at our, our number here, and you're 50% less than these guys over there, and they're doing okay. So you know, try again. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a horrible. It's a horrible problem. It's yeah. completely manifestly uh, run to sell stuff on uh, Etsy, on you know uh, any of the e-commerce platforms, completely stolen in the box things, selling it 70 or 80% off the retail price, in my opinion, should be completely illegal because you can't yeah. do that in any other store. You get, But I can do it on, e on whatever it is, uh, uh, if not E-Trade, uh, any of the uh, other ones. And now somebody's doing an index on how, how what a and it's always, you know, popular stuff, but it, it's whatever a, a Cardinals baseball cap sells for on one of the versus what they sell in, in, in you know, actual price. If you sell for less than 10% of the actual price, it's freaking stolen. Why aren't we going after these guys? Let's do that next time, Todd, because it's another, talk, that's another conversation, probably even a different show. But yeah. we'll talk about that. Brilliant comment, though, Jessica, on, on the, the Amazon angle. That, that is something I think should uh, open up some uh, eyes for, for a lot of investors. But listen, I think we said it all today. What a show. What a show to end a brutal week on Wall Street. But uh, hopefully uh, things will, will turn around and get better, especially next week with so much going on. And coming up next week, we have Danielle Shea, Barbara Duran. We have uh, advisor to the stars. Ned Tunmore is going to be joining us. Lots of great guests, lots of A-list guests. We know you're going to get a lot out of that. So on behalf of Jessica Inskip, who is, you got to check out her podcast, the yeah. Market Maker Podcast. Go check it out. We encourage the entire audience to, to go there. And Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today on Buy, Hold, Sell. We would love to have you back. Yeah, sometime. You know, Todd, I hope this guest we have next week are half as good as Jessica. Okay. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I had a wonderful time. Thank you for the lovely conversation. I hope to be back as well. Sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, on behalf of Jessica and Skip and Tobin Smith, I am Todd Schoenberger. We want to wish all of you have a safe and happy weekend, and we'll catch you next time. Take care. Sure.
Buy, hold, sell, brought to you by Crosscheck Management. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about, and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.